Welcome to the Dialogue by Wirepoints, connecting the dots between our economy, government, and people. And now your hosts, Ted Dabrowski and Mark Glennon. Welcome to the Dialogue from Wirepoints. This is Mark Glennon. I'm here with my partner, Ted Dabrowski. There's a historic political shift underway with Hispanics rapidly shifting uh, to the right, to the center at least, uh, moving away from the Democratic Party towards the Republican Party. Uh, so today we have a special guest here with us who's going to give us his perspective as a solid conservative who's been in the trenches fighting that battle uh, for some years now. Steve Cortez is a name well known to many across the nation. He's a financial markets guy by background. Made his name on television, national television, as a, a commentator on the stock market. Gradually moved his way into uh, politics. Played football at Georgetown. Uh, was a, a nominee for the Rhodes Scholarship. But his real credential, Steve, that's very prestigious, is that you graduated from Marion Catholic High School in that's Chicago right. Heights. Uh, where I went as well. In fact, we grew up in the same town in Park Forest there. Uh, does that do you justice, uh, Steve? Anything to... Uh... Well, you're too kind, more than justice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Steve, we will give you what we've seen in these poll numbers, and uh, you're probably more on top of it than us, but tell us if we're uh, on point here. And Ted has some pretty good perspective on this too. Ted's mom is from Ecuador. He speaks fluent Spanish. He's been a a year in the Spanish community up in Waukegan on a school choice initiative. Uh, but Ted, uh, tell us what uh, you and I have been looking at. Well, yeah, Steve, th thanks for being on. Yeah, the numbers, you know, have have uh, the politics shifting, as, as, as Mark said, and, 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 you know, Democrats are clearly worried that there's a big shift and a big movement uh, from the Republicans toward more conservative or moderate values. And uh, what really has some people worried is, is a lot of polling that's come out. And obviously, also, the election in 2020, where Trump did much better. Um, you know, one of the first things we've seen is that uh, when you start asking Hispanic voters about uh, who would they vote for in Congress, it's become evenly split. Um, one of the one right. of the surveys out of the Wall Street Journal: 37 percent his, Hispanic voters said they would support the Republican, and another 37 percent said they would support the Democrat. And then when you look at the last presidential election. Uh, you know, it was Biden who took 63% of Hispanic voters, 30% more, uh, 30 percentage points more than Trump in 2020. Well, now that's even, according to these latest polls, 44% would back Biden, 43% would back Trump in a hypothetical match in 2024. So, uh, wow, that's got people scared. It's got people moving. You're seeing massive trends in places like Texas along the border where um, they've left the Democrats in in, in in mass. And so the question is, what is this uh, to you? What are you seeing? And uh, it, it certainly spells a, a big change. You know, certainly we're in Illinois. We have a massive uh, Hispanic population. Chicago right. has a massive population. So we can talk more about that. But uh, give us your thoughts there. Sure. Now, listen, it's important, obviously, all over the country, certainly important in uh, places like Illinois, a place like Chicago, where the population is roughly third black, third white and third Hispanic. Um, I think a lot of folks outside of Chicago, particularly people who live near the border and sort of the sunbelt of the United States, southwestern U.S., have no idea just how Hispanic Chicago is. 
um, and how big the Mexican-American community is there. But to get to your points about the larger secular shift that's going on in the country, uh, it's been really going on, I believe, since the Tea Party movement. We started to see some real evidence of it in 2016, a lot more evidence of it then in the 2020 presidential election. And now in polling, all indications are for 22 and 24 uh, that this trend of Republicans toward the right is going to continue. But I do think it's it's two-faceted. And what I mean by that is part of it is absolutely that uh, that that Hispanics are increasingly rallying to the America first vision as the conservative movement in America changes, as the Republican Party in America changes into a working class cause um, and into a, a populist nationalist movement rather than a corporatist establishment GOP movement. It is becoming far, far more attractive to a lot of working class Americans of every ethnicity and every race, but certainly includes a lot of Hispanics. But I also do think we can't take all the credit in terms of you know what we're doing in our movement, what we're doing in a positive way. There's also the negative effects of what the Democratic Party is doing. And as the Democratic Party lurches ever leftward, it is effectively making a lot of Latinos in the United States political orphans. Um, it is doing to them in many ways what it did in previous generations to other ethnic groups, particularly other Catholic uh, ethnic groups, groups like Irish Americans, for example, which were extremely loyal uh, Democratic partisans in our parents' and grandparents' generation um, and can no longer be counted on in that in that way, no, no longer vote as an ethnic bloc. Uh, a lot of them would say that they didn't leave the Democratic Party, the party left them. Uh, that same kind of phenomenon, I think, is going on today with the Democrats as on both economic as well as cultural issues the Biden party, the uh, the Ocasio-Cortez party, the, the Kamala Harris party positions itself very far to the left of where the preponderance of working class Americans are and particularly working class Hispanics. Steve, are you seeing any regional differences here? I, you know, I used to live in Texas uh, years ago. You know, this was true in, te in decades ago in Texas. Phil Graham, a hardcore conservative, ran very well with Hispanics down there. And he said, you know, these voters are are laying there right ready to be taken you know they're they're catholic and conservative maybe not so much though in california where they're you know crazy like every other race maybe in california or are, are there any regional differences do you think no listen there certainly are regional differences but i would also point out there are also reasons to be optimistic even in some of the most democratic strongholds in america you know so for instance you mentioned uh texas and what happened along the the texas mexico border uh, the U.S.-Mexico border in southern Texas was really astounding in 2020. And to put some numbers on this, a little bit of data, Star County in Texas, which is the most Hispanic county in all of America, it is 96% Latino. In Star County in 2016, Donald Trump got clobbered by 60% by Hillary Clinton in 2016. In 2020, he lost by only 5%. He didn't quite win, but he came dang close and he rallied 55%. Those kinds of movements in only four years are really unheard of in American politics. You just don't see those kinds of moves. Um, and by the way, in the counties uh, adjoining, counties right next door, Trump rallied and did win those counties, which aren't quite as Hispanic as Star County, but still majority Hispanic counties. We see in McAllen, Texas, for example, uh, the first Republican mayor elected in a century in McAllen, Texas. So there's clearly a movement there um, in, in Texas that is profound and significant. But but to answer your question, Mark, you know about other regions of the country, I point out to folks, for example, in the Bronx, New York, right? Can't really find a more blue stronghold than New York City. Hard to find a more diverse place in the United States than the Bronx, 90% minority on the whole. Um, in the Bronx, 
President Trump, while he didn't come anywhere close to winning, he did double his raw vote total and he gained 7% on margin in the Bronx, in LA County, largest county in the United States, 10 million people. Uh, again, one of the most diverse places in the United States. Donald Trump gained a half million raw votes in LA County and he gained 4% on margin. If you look at the top 100 counties in terms of Hispanic percentage, there are 100 Hispanic majority counties in the United States. And this is from Politico. So I'm not citing from some right-wing uh, website. According to Politico, there's 100 majority Hispanic uh, counties in the United States. Donald Trump in those 100 counties won 44% of the vote in 2020. So yes, the, the success has been certainly more significant in places like Texas, uh, but there are still, there are reasons to be optimistic all over the country, including in some, you know, typically very reliably blue jurisdictions in this country. And I, I think what Hispanics are seeing right now um, are the consequences of the Democratic Party. And it has now become the party of the oligarchs. And what I mean by that is it really favors two things which are particularly harmful to Hispanics. Uh, it favors effectively open borders, if not actually open borders. Um, it wants a free flow or a near free flow of workers who will compete, who are great for the oligarchs, who are great for multinational corporations, who depress wages, but compete in the labor market against working class Americans, many of them folks with names like Martinez and Cortez. So that's that's one issue. Um, and then I think this, the second issue is a Democratic Party, which on cultural, so that's on the economic side, on the cultural front, a Democratic Party, which is so beholden to radical interests, uh, that it believes increasingly really in lawlessness. And we see in the polling uh, very significant moves among Hispanics against radical BMN riots, against defund the police. Um, it's minority Americans who disproportionately, of course, bear the brunt of those kinds of policies in places like Chicago, which has become in many ways a third world city. You know, the people who, who have to deal with the consequences of the lawlessness of a city like Chicago, generally um, are not wealthy, credentialed, white suburban wine moms. No, instead, it is a lot of working class people, many of whom are Hispanic, many of whom suffered from the lockdowns in a disproportionate way because they work in jobs that you cannot do remotely um, because they cannot afford many of them private schools. Many of them did not have the option to get their kids physically into school uh, when the lockdown lunatics in places like California and Illinois uh, insisted on closing schools against all reason and against all science. And then frankly, I would even argue, you know, against all really just care for, for humanity. So, you know, a lot of mistakes on their side, on the left, a lot of openings, uh, you know, what in tennis you call unforced errors uh, on their side to push Hispanics out of the ranks of the Democratic Party. But then also a lot of things that volitionally, we have done well on the right and in the America First movement, things like insisting on border control, insisting on fairer trade deals, backing the blue when it comes to law enforcement, things that the America First movement is proposing in a positive way that are really, really attractive to a lot of Latinos. Yeah, Steve, I wanted you to comment a little bit more on that because I think you did a really nice job of hitting you know, what, what the left or what the Democrats, certainly the far, the far left, have done to, to push out, to push away the, the Latinos. Uh, touch a little bit more on, on the populist side of things, the America first side, because that's a 
that's a huge part too, which which gets ignored um, by a lot of people. But that you know, when when we saw the record unemployment rate uh, for Latinos in the Trump years, that that changed a lot of people's minds, from what I gather. Right. Absolutely. And and to get to some of that data, you know, I really think that it's important to look at 2019. And the reason I say that is that was sort of the the last clean year of the Trump presidency, meaning that we were not dealing with the CCP virus, which ravaged the global economy um, and which cannot be blamed, in my view, on Donald Trump, nor on the Democrats, for that matter, nor on any Americans, only the fault of the Chinese Communist Party. But if we look at at 2019 into the CCP virus, what we saw was an American economy that was humming and working incredibly well for everybody, but particularly for blue collar Americans, those who had lagged the most during both previous administrations, Obama as well as Bush, they leapfrogged to the front um, and were and were garnering the biggest gains. Again, everybody was doing well, but to put numbers on it, in 2019, we saw 6.8% overall wage growth for the year, which was the best that America has seen in decades. That was also with extremely tame inflation. So real wage growth was absolutely soaring. It was even better than that for minorities. Both blacks and Hispanic workers in America enjoyed above 7% wage growth for the full year of 2019. Blue collar Americans, whatever their ethnicity or race, enjoyed 9% wage growth for the year 2019. So I think what a lot of Latinos witnessed in their own lives was that they were getting more and more prosperous because of what Donald Trump did to number one, control the border, number two, insist on better, smarter, fairer trade deals that had reciprocity um, and encouraging onshoring back into the United States, which was great you know, for all blue collar Americans, but that disproportionately benefited Hispanics. And because of that, they, uh, they rallied to his side. And by the way, I see, I think Hispanics right now to bring it to the, to the current tense and to bring some current polling in, Unfortunately, they see the exact opposite in terms of current polling as well as current economic data. Uh, we just got out very recently a poll from Quinnipiac University, which shows that Biden's approval among Hispanics is all the way down to 28%. Now, Ted and Mark, I will tell you as a guy who does media and strategy for a living, if I were a Democrat, if I were a Biden partisan, which I'm far from, but if I were, I would be absolutely trembling over a number like that from a constituency which they historically have been able to count on, which they need to count on into the future, the largest by far minority group in America, roughly 60 million Latinos right now in the United States and growing, when your approval rating is all the way down to 28%, you have a massive problem. And by the way, the details are even worse than that for Biden in terms of strong approve versus strong disapprove in this Quinnipiac number, only 14% strongly approve, 40% strongly disapprove. So almost three to one underwater, strong approve versus strong disapprove for Joe Biden. Now, why? To bring this back to the economy. I think, unfortunately, Hispanics are dealing with the inverse of what they enjoyed in 2019. And it's it's shocking to me and I think to a lot of Americans how fast this has happened. And what I mean by that specifically is the decline, the crash really in real wages. Real wages have gone down now in the United States 10 months in a row. We are seeing 40-year records in consumer price inflation. We just hit an all-time high in producer price inflation. Wages cannot keep up, are not keeping up statistically, so Americans are getting poorer by the month. Um, That is particularly problematic and pernicious 
for small business. And this is critical for Hispanics because one thing I'm very proud of of the Hispanic community, we are by far statistically the most entrepreneurial demographic in America. You put a couple of hermanos together with a truck and guess what? You got a small business all of a sudden. That is just culturally and economically how Hispanics operate in the United States. Well, when it comes to inflation, uh, you know who benefits from inflation and who suffers the most? Well, the beneficiaries generally uh, are the owners of assets, are people and organizations that are already immensely successful. They can not only handle inflation, but in fact, at times, even thrive from inflation. For example, to get specific here, you know, who are the producers of the goods that are inflating in value, you know, the, the commodity type goods? Generally, it is massive multinational corporations and things like energy exploration and agribusiness. There are very few mom and pop operations out there, for example, drilling for oil or processing corn. Um, you know, instead, it's firms like ExxonMobil and, and ADM, just to pick a couple, not that I'm picking on them particularly. Uh, now, who suffers the most from inflation? And I'm talking on the business side here, not the consumer side. Generally, it is small business. You know, I mentioned if it's a couple of uh, Hispanic brothers in a truck who are started, have started a paving business that has started to now succeed, and now they have a fleet of trucks, they have 10 trucks. Well, used car prices, if they need more trucks, used car prices have gone up 37% in the last year. And in terms of keeping those trucks fueled, uh, we have seen gasoline prices soar. When Joe Biden took office, crude oil was in the 40s. It is now in the 80s. So small business has a much harder time with inflation. Hispanics are statistically and culturally an incredibly dynamic entrepreneurial uh, segment of American society. They're suffering under Joe Biden's policies. They know it. Um, and I believe it's going to continue to, to propel a movement right and a movement toward populist nationalism among a lot of Hispanics. Yeah, Steve, I, I got this vision of uh, the, the Democrats uh, going down to the border and saying, build that wall, build that wall. And then uh, Trump going down there saying, giving his speech, uh, President Biden, tear down this wall. But, uh, it's, you know, it's not going well for him. Um, talk about Chicago and, and uh, Cook County. You're, you're a Chicago resident, I believe, still. Uh, as I say, you grew up here. Uh, you know, we, we do have kind of an odd mix here in that we have as you say, the Hispanic values are what you described, but for some reason they do often send these crazy leftists into office. You know, the Chachui Garcia's uh, right. uh, three of the four socialist members of Chicago city council are uh, Latino, Latino females, Latinas. Um, is, is that changing? How does that happen? And are there any differences in Chicago? Do you think? Sure. Um, well, and listen, Mark, unfortunately, I am no longer a Chicago resident. I, uh, I raised my family in Chicago for 25 years, but the absolute in the city, but the absolute failed policies of, of decades, but particularly this mayor, Lori Lightfoot, and I would also say particularly this uh, state's attorney, Kim Fox, they were enough to finally get me, um, you know, a died in the wool Chicagoan to, to leave. I just didn't think it was tenable anymore. It wasn't safe. It wasn't affordable. So I am one of the many Chicagoans who has decided to make the choice to, uh, to, as a refugee, effectively a political refugee, to Red America and live in Tennessee now. But I still, of course, maintain you know, very intense and keen interest in what's happening in Chicago. Um, and in my read of Chicago politically is that, look, unfortunately, you know, I mentioned the gains in L.A. County, the gains in the Bronx, even in these highly blue jurisdictions. 
Hispanics are starting to move rightward. However, they're moving from an incredibly leftward opening position, right? So there, there's a long, long way before Hispanics there are going to be like Hispanics in places like Texas um, and Arizona, where I think they're going to start tipping the balance now. In, uh, in And they already have to some degree, but will continue to in 2022 and 2024. So I don't expect Hispanics to be in Cook County uh, to operate or vote anywhere near the, uh, the way they do in South Florida or in the Rio Grande Valley, um, you know, or in, uh, in, uh, in Tucson area, for example, right now. But I do still think, again, you know, there are reasons to be optimistic and, and there are reasons to try to plant seeds, which yes, may take a long time to germinate, um, but will eventually reap a political harvest. And I also think that the, in the case of Chicago specifically, uh, the, the mismanagement of the city, both on, on two levels, on crime and education, on both of those spheres, both of those, you know, in critical, important issues for, uh, for every resident of the city, but particularly for people who don't have a lot of economic options, many of whom happen to be black or brown. If we in the America First Movement focus on those, uh, the, the consequences of that mismanagement, of having schools closed, of shutting sports down, of dangerous streets, of prosecutors who will not do their job, um, of judges who uh, who set free violent criminals, people who commit con uh, gun crimes with either no bail or very uh, uh, immaterial bail such that they can get back on the streets quickly. If we focus on those issues and focus on, you know, what are the solutions? What are the America first solutions that can solve those kinds of, of issues? I do think over time, I'm, you know, look, I'm not... Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to be pie in the sky. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen quickly or soon. But I do think over time, it is possible that there can be change even in Chicago, even in Cook County, and that Hispanics um, will, will, I hope, be at least part of that change. Uh, Steve, I'm, I'm looking at a, at a chart that we haven't published yet, but we're going to publish soon. And it's the Chicago demographics over time. And I think this, this might speak a little bit to what you're saying, to be optimistic, uh, assuming the trends continue. But I'm looking at the, you know, as we know, whites, white, the white population of Chicago has been shrinking, you know, dramatically over time. Um, and but but looking more at the minority, there used to be 1.2 million blacks in Chicago back in 1980. Uh, that's dropped dramatically by more than 400,000 since then. Uh, and in its place, the Hispanics used to be about 420,000 back in 1980. Now they're double that, right. and so they are now. Uh, just a, a slight bit more than the blacks. So Hispanics out, outnumber blacks in in Chicago now. It's a massive shift. Right. Now, you know, speaking, thinking about it a little bit, you know, I, I know that Hispanics have not voted uh, in the in the in the large share that they should. So proportionally, they're not they're not voting like the blacks do. Um, but I guess over time, as, as the Hispanics start to, you know, flex their muscle, they 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 say realize that they're bigger than the than the black minority. Um, I would imagine you're going to see more and more, uh, you know, a, a push by a push to take more control in in Chicago. Your thoughts yeah. on that? No, I think I absolutely could have you. And you're exactly right, Ted, that uh, right now there is certainly a an historical and you know just cultural reality that blacks vote at a much higher rate than do Hispanics um, and particularly black women. Right. Who are by far now the most reliable constituency of the Democratic Party. I might argue they might be the only last very reliable constituency of the Democratic Party, perhaps also highly educated suburban women. They might also be able to count on them, uh, you know, at least for the time being, because they can't count on, on Hispanics anymore, right? It's part of my point, uh, which they used to, you know, I think take 
for granted. And so, yeah, I think that exactly what you're talking about, um, and, and by the way, to connect that back to national polling, you know, when I mentioned this Quinnipiac poll that just came out, that showed 28% only Hispanic support for Joe Biden, only 14% strongly. Uh, the number was exactly, those numbers were exactly double for black Americans still for Joe Biden. So to show you the stickiness of black support for Joe Biden, many African-Americans, really still do view Joe Biden as sort of an, uh, an Obama 2.0 or almost a stand-in, almost a surrogate for Barack Obama. So he has 56% approval uh, right now among African-Americans. That's on a national basis. But if we were to take those national trends um, and, and use them as a guide for what's going on in Chicago, the demographic trends over time, I think you're exactly right. As Chicago becomes more Hispanic and less Black, and it certainly has, that has been the trend for some time, you know, likelihood will continue to be. Uh, we might expect that Chicago will move politically slightly to the right. But again, believe me, I'm not holding my breath. Um, <laughs> I wasn't personally willing to wait it out any longer because I think things are just untenable in Chicago. And I, I really try as much as I can to, to point this out to the country. And I don't say this with any glee at all because I so love the city of Chicago. But I think Chicago should serve as a warning for all of America that Chicago is where Joe Biden and Pelosi and the left and the corporate media, where they would take the totality of our country if we let them. They will take us to that place of statism, of, you know, really, frankly, repression, of street violence, uh, corruption. All of the problems of Chicago, in my view, uh, emanate from a city that has been under almost total domination for a century by one party and but lately in the last couple of decades by a segment of the party, which is incredibly left-leaning. So Chicago, unfortunately, um, our all, all of us, our common hometown, uh, serves as a, as a dire warning, I think, to the rest of America that does not want to become Chicago. Steve, that's part of why we do what we do here at Wire Points. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of lessons to be learned both in Chicago and uh, uh, across Illinois. Uh, but to to your point and and the Ted's point, you know, Hispanics are 20 percent of the population across America, and they are the new swing voters. And as soon as they understand the power of that, uh, that's going to carry a lot of weight. And I would certainly think that the uh, voter turnout records are, uh, percentages are going to go up, and everything else. Um, Steve, are there, are there any uh, ethnic differences among which, uh, Hispanics? Generally, it's, I, I believe, nationally about 60% uh, Mexican heritage, 10% Puerto Rican, uh, the remainder uh, Central American countries. Uh, you see, I, I was surprised by those numbers you, you said about the Bronx because I think that's, that's mostly Puerto Rican. I would guess they tend to be a little more left, AOC's right. area, uh, but uh, not true. You're, apparently, you're seeing that in... Uh, um, all, all different segments of the Hispanic population? No, that's true that there are gains. And again, I do want to be clear, Mark, you know, Trump was nowhere near being competitive in the Bronx. Uh, but the, the fact is he still doubled his raw vote to total and gained on margin. You know, sure, the sure. Bronx and in Los yeah. Angeles County, which I find pretty astounding. Yep. Um, and I, I think very few people would even realize. Uh, and to me, you know, it gives me hope for the future. To answer your question, though, too, Mark, yeah, look, there are obviously huge differences. And I think uh, sometimes a lot of uh, commentators out there who perhaps are not Hispanic or just not, you know, don't care to look into it enough. Uh, they assume that, well, you know, if you have a Hispanic last name or perhaps if you speak fluent Spanish or a little Spanish, you know, that you're the same. Well, we've got in the southwestern U.S. in places you know, like New Mexico, there are literally 10th generation um, Hispanics who have been there since before it was the United States. Right. And then you've got 
um, a Dominican who got to Queens, New York, 10 minutes ago, right? Uh, now, the two of them are, are both Hispanic, but they have very little, really, to be honest, in common, perhaps, other than per maybe just uh, speaking Spanish. So it is certainly a massive and diverse community. But that said, what I think is common uh, and what, what, can be, uh, what can be counted on sort of in terms of politics and demographics and polling um, is that overwhelmingly the Hispanic community is still a working class community. So most things you say about Hispanics politically, for example, are equally true of working class whites and working class blacks. Um, but because it is overwhelmingly still a working class community, and look, I hope that changes over time, and I think it will. I want Hispanics to become a wealthier community. Um, but for the most part, a working class community, you know, there are some nationwide cross-ethnicity Hispanic um, truths and, and practices, you know, which I think can be observed. I would point out, too, though, also regarding, uh, let's look at Florida, for example. Uh, you know, it, Florida's Cuban community has been quite right-leaning for a long time, largely, you know, for very understandable reasons that they fled a communist regime. Um, so they had almost in their DNA, right, uh, these folks, whether they, they themselves came or their, and their offspring came, uh, they, they had such a revulsion towards statism and, and leftist policies. Um, but as Florida became, the Hispanic community there became a lot less Cuban. It's become much more Puerto Rican, much more Colombian uh, lately, a lot more Venezuelan, largely because of problems in places like Venezuela that, are, that people are understandably fleeing. A lot of political commentators thought, oh, well, the Hispanic community is going to really shift left in Florida. And we frankly have not seen that happen. For example, in 2020, we were told that Florida was going to be in play, that Trump was in trouble there in his home state because of the uh, central Florida Puerto Rican population. Well, it turned out that, number one, they weren't terribly enthused about Biden, so they didn't turn out for him in the way that the left uh, had hoped. And number two, Trump outperformed expectations. So when you combined a really strong South Florida uh, Hispanic performance with a good enough Central Florida Hispanic performance by Donald Trump. He ended up actually winning the state of Florida rather easily. Uh, and, and given what Ron DeSantis, who is the exact polar opposite of, of Pritzker, right? He's the anti-Pritzker in almost every way because of the, the fantastic management of Ron DeSantis in the state of Florida. I believe that, that Hispanics in Florida are going to continue to trend right. And if anything, um, are going to form an even bigger surplus for congressional races in 2022 and, and for DeSantis himself. And then I hope for whomever the Republican nominee is in, uh, in 2024 in the state of Florida. Hey, Steve, talk a little bit culturally about, about the Hispanics. And, and uh, yeah, you've touched on it several times as, as you talk, but maybe just put it all together. Um, you know, as, as Mark mentioned, my, my mom's from Ecuador and, you know, we huge family down there, very Catholic. Um, uh, tend to be conservative in nature across the board. You know, how does that how does that play into what's happening right now uh, with these policies? And you've mentioned it, but um, and I'd like you to tie that in the difference between men and women. I'm looking at some of the yes. polling where the Hispanic men uh, are leaning much more to the right, at least the ones that I'm seeing, versus women uh, less so. Or, or you could also say that vice versa that the Hispanic there's more Hispanic women favoring Biden, for example. Right. So how does that how does the culture play in across the board uh, with, with respect to to how they're moving, how, which way they're shifting and then, how, you know, that difference between men and women? Sure. Well, regarding and, the, and, may, and maybe young. Sorry, Stephen, maybe young people, too, because it's a new a young generation, too. Right. This is a, a totally different generation than than my mom. Sure. 
You know, so Ted, yeah, no, these are important points. And um, I, I'm very careful here to always try to find data out there and not just rely on assumptions and stereotypes, you know, which may be true, but may not be. And regarding Hispanics, for example, on the pro-life issue, uh, which is incredibly important to me personally, uh, on the pro-life issue, polling is generally pretty consistent if you really take a fair look um, that Hispanics are significantly more pro-life than our Anglo-Americans or white Americans. Uh, and that is that is a significant truth. And also, I would point this out. Uh, you know, you mentioned about the the Catholic nature of the Hispanic population. Evangelical Hispanics are really pro-life when we look uh, statistically at the polling. And the evangelical Hispanic community is growing not just, of course, in the United States, but also all over Latin America. Uh, just this week, I can't, I'm forgetting where I read it, but it's somewhere credible. Uh, I read that Brazil may become the first Latin American country to become majority Protestant. Uh, that's how much, how strong the evangelical gains have been in Brazil in recent years. And the reason I bring that up in regards to American politics is we're certainly seeing that as well in the American Hispanic community. And look, I, I, I'm Catholic, so I, I want the Hispanic community to be Catholic. But the reality politically here is as the Hispanic community gets more and more evangelical in the United States, those evangelical Hispanics tend to vote like their white evangelical brothers and sisters. Um, and, and that will be also, I think, a a positive tailwind for the America First movement, particularly, again, getting back to what we first talked about, just how radical the Democrats have become on this issue, right? We are a long way from where Bill Clinton was saying that we want abortion to be safe, legal, and rare, right? That was, when I say we, I mean his statement, not me. Uh, that was his supposed you know, policy statement. Well, we are now at a place where a, a supposedly Catholic governor of New Jersey, Murphy, literally just signed a law guaranteeing abortion until the very moment of birth. So the Democratic Party, as it has become insanely radical on this life issue, pushed a lot of uh, Latinos, particularly evangelical Latinos, um, out of their party. And again, I think also on the positive side, the America First agenda is doing a lot uh, to attract them. On the issue of uh, the sexes, this is a key issue because most of the gains clearly that we saw, particularly from 2016 to 2020, were among Hispanic men. Um, and it's one of the reasons that I, I often use, and it's somewhat tongue in cheek. I mean, I'm trying to be funny with it, but I often use the phrase, uh, you know, bad hombres, uh, because of course, Donald Trump talked about that in terms of, you know, people coming across the border. By the way, I don't know a single Hispanic who was offended by him saying that. Yes, there absolutely are bad hombres who are coming across when you have an open border. Nobody knows that more, by the way, than Hispanics. And that's one of the things that I really did in terms of my work for the 2020 Trump campaign, when I spearheaded our outreach to Hispanics, is uh, in terms of the, the local media that we did, particularly in border states in, uh, in Texas and Arizona, um, we pointed out how the victims of illegality at the border generally are Hispanics. Um, that the Border Patrol itself is an incredibly Hispanic, it's a majority Hispanic organization, the most Hispanic agency of the entire federal government. So the consequences, for example, of, of border lawlessness, those consequences are largely and disproportionately borne by Hispanics. Now, we had more success, though, selling that message to bad hombre voters, men in the United States uh, than we did to Latinas. And so, you know, look, that, that's also true of every race, every ethnicity right now. And I wish I had the magic bullet. I wish I could tell you, okay, this is what will solve that in terms of messaging or policy. I don't, I'm not gonna pretend that I have those answers. Um, but I can also tell you, we're improving with both, with women as well, but we're improving much, much more with Hispanic men. And I just, one last point on that topic is really, as it relates back to entrepreneurship, 
um, and economics. Look, there's a lot of Latina businesswomen out there. A lot of them are, are thriving and you know and doing great. So I'm not in any sense trying to diminish what's going on there. But I think in terms of the the small business dynamism, that is a bigger issue for men than it is for women within the Hispanic community. I think it's one of the reasons we saw much bigger gains and have seen much bigger gains um, among the bad hombres than we have so far among the Latinas. Steve, Steve, quick um, kind of lightning around on some other issues that are big national issues, but uh, t- tell me if his- Hispanics care about them or what do they think quickly? I'm guessing they don't care at all about some of these. Climate change. Yeah, you know, it, it does not show up significantly in polling. And that's true of working class people, whether Hispanic or not. You know, government spending and taxes. You know, no, again, not a huge issue. I think government spending, if you connect it to inflation, then you get significant uh, reaction, but not yeah. government spending on its own. Um, school choice. I think I know the answer to this. We're big proponents of school choice here. Yes. No, and, and, and absolutely. And again, I think this is where maybe in very, you know, blue constituencies like Chicago, this is where maybe we can see an opening given what went on last school year, what is now going on again this school year uh, in the city of Chicago, the real just, I would call it treachery, quite frankly, of the teachers union disproportionately impacting Hispanic children. Um, that I believe is, is a very fertile political issue where we're going to continue to see. Sure, sure. Um, critical race theory and woke racialism. Huge issue. You know, and again, the, look, the, the BLM uh, radical riots of 2020 were a, and I know this from the private polling we did in the Trump campaign, from a lot of intelligent focus group studies we did, um, Hispanics reacted re- in, in really uh, significant ways against all of that, against CRT, um, against the, the related philosophies of, uh, of defunding police, um, against the tolerance of violence that we saw. So those cultural issues that relate to safety and to law enforcement, uh, very critical issues for Hispanics. Two more. Uh, gun ownership. You know, big issue we find in the, in the Southwest. Big, uh, not not a big issue in, in uh, you know, blue jurisdictions. But yes, among Hispanics, particularly men in the Southwest, big issue. And lastly, uh, uh, like health care, expansion of Obamacare or whatever. You know, on that one, Mark, I'm going to punt. I just haven't seen enough data uh, to be quite honest on health care. Yeah, I, I, I can't answer intelligently on that. Well, Steve, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Uh, you tell us um, where people can follow you. Now, you're a data guy, uh, data wonk like we are. Um, I, you're, you haven't been thrown off of Twitter yet. Uh, so I know right. you're there. Cortez, Steve, I, I, I'm sure you're on Getter. Same handle on Getter? Where, where there? Getter, I'm just Steve. I'm surprised I got it, but I was early over there. So I got, I'm just very simple, just okay. Steve on Getter. And I'm Cortez, Steve, Cortez with an S over on the Twitter, at least until they kick me out of there. Well, we sure appreciate this, Steve. It's very informative. Ted, you got anything else? Yeah, you know, I just want to tell a really short story. I know Steve would appreciate it because he's talked about the entrepreneurism. You know, I, I as, as you mentioned, I spent some time in Waukegan, so I, I, I feel like I know the, the part of the Latino crowd here in, in Illinois well. Um, but it was just a few weeks ago when we had a big storm, and you know, the, the, a lot of trees were blown over in in in, uh, in nearby, and we had a huge, or it's not huge, but a big limb fall on our house. And, you know, it was raining. This is during the rain stuff and a lot of rain. And I was worried about the damage because we had a big hole in our roof. And I started calling around. I needed, a, you know, somebody to, to get up up there and get that limb out of the out of the roof. And then, two, we needed somebody to plug the hole. And you can imagine when you're calling around in the middle of a crisis, you can't find anybody. Everybody's booked. Uh, but I, I made a couple calls. And what was fascinating is, you know, one group came immediately. And, you know, it was three Mexicans. 
Um, I got to know them. They're, they're, they're great guys. And they immediately took care of everything. They were up, you know, a bucket truck up in the, you know, taking the risk, taking it down. Perfect. Uh, within an hour, two other Hispanic guys come up and they're fixing my roof. And boom, just like that, instead of me worrying about my, my house getting more damaged, I have a hole in the roof flooding with water. Uh, it was taken care of. And these are the entrepreneurs. And it was, it was wonderful. I was thankful. And uh, they did a great job. Yeah, isn't that amazing? No, it's 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 great to hear those kinds of micro stories, and we know it's true on the national level. Hispanic men have the highest workforce participation rate in America, uh, and by quite a, quite a distance, uh, actually. And so, we need to encourage them. We need to uh, we need to institute policies that will allow them to thrive and succeed. It was exactly. happening under Donald Trump. I think it can happen again with the right America First Congress and America First uh, President from you know, twenty two and twenty four and beyond. Awesome. Well, well thank you. Bad Omre, thanks so much for joining us. It's very informative. And don't you forget about us back in Chicago here. I will not. All right, Mark and Ted. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care.